Call me sentimental, but to me, the most joyful moment in sports is the soccer goal. And when that goal happens at the World Cup, well, it's pretty good. I'm Brian Phillips. With the 2022 Men's World Cup approaching, I'm making a podcast called 22 Goals on the Ringer Podcast Network. It's about 22 of the most fire emoji goals in the history of the tournament. We're going to have so much fun. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays, all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page in the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus in president select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett. After the Patriots win today, they take out the Indianapolis Colts 26-3. They get over 500, and they now go on their bye week, sitting at 5-4 and four on the season. So you would think that you would feel optimistic, happy after this game, right? Like, if you didn't watch the game and you just saw the score was 26-3, to three, you would have said, oh, the Patriots played really well. They beat the Indianapolis Colts. Let's go into the bye week and try to get it going in the second half of the season as well. But I'm just not there with this team right now. And we'll get into the defense because the defense was tremendous. And we'll talk with my buddy Doug Kide from Pro Football Focus in just a little bit. But to me, I just don't feel great about this win. It's great that they get in the win column, but the offense continues to be a problem, right? Just juxtapose where this Patriots organization was last year entering the bye week and where they're at right now, right? Because remember, the bye came later for the Patriots and they went into the bye week. They were the number one seed in the AFC. We're saying, okay, this rookie quarterback is playing really well. Imagine what he's going to be for the foreseeable future with the organization. And now how you feel about Mac is not even close to that. How you feel about the team in general from an offensive perspective is nowhere close to that whatsoever, right? The offense, it just seems like right now, It can't get out of its own way. And you just look at it. It's the same thing over and over again with this team from an offensive perspective. It's a slow start. It's you're bad on third down again. And you don't really have any big or wild plays from Mac Jones, right? The big play that Mac made in this game, the best play that he made was probably the one where Hunter Henry's wide open in the middle of the field. That wasn't a difficult throw to make. It was a very easy throw. It was a layup for Mac Jones or any NFL quarterback. But What's the play that stands out for Mac Jones again today? This is now two weeks in a row where he hasn't really done anything to really help the team win. He hasn't done anything to make you think, yeah, this is the quarterback for the Patriots for the foreseeable future. It's just troublesome. Today, first quarter points, zero. The Patriots came into this one, 1.9 points per game in the first quarter. That was 28th in the NFL. Last year, they were at 4.3, 14th. So in so many different areas, 
This Patriots offense, it feels like, has taken a step back, and that includes, unfortunately, the play of the quarterback. Now, they didn't help him a lot today either, like we've seen that be a trend, but Mac just, he doesn't jump off the screen at all. Like, you look at that second-year quarterback playing in Chicago, Justin Fields, who we saw in Monday Night Football, that guy's improving. That guy's getting better this season. Mac Jones, it appears to me, is at the very least plateauing, and from my perspective, he's actually gotten worse. You look at it today, Mac Jones. In the first half, he's at 4.8 yards per attempt. For the game, he's at 4.9. That is horrible. Joe Flacco, among qualifiers, is last in the NFL at 5.8. Max 17th at 7.2. And ever since he came back from the injury, he's actually been worse as a quarterback from my perspective. You think about this, that field goal drive to make it 16-3. to I don't know what Mac was doing on that play, right? Where you have trips to the right side and you have Stevenson out on the left side. And Mac doesn't even look to the right side of the field where the three receivers are. I, I don't know how that is possible, right? You know that the three receivers are over there. How do you never look that direction, right? And then you think about an, a couple of other plays. He overthrew Bourne on the first drive of the game. You could say, okay, maybe Bourne can make that play. But the point being, that was a poorly thrown ball by Mac Jones. He ran into a sack on the second drive of the game. Remember, Hunter Henry was open in the flat, didn't even see him, but he ran into a sack. And... He had that weird play, too, on the sideline. Do you remember that, where he was just, like, running towards the sideline, and instead of throwing it out of bounds, he slid for, like, a five-yard loss. Now, it ended up being a hold, so it would have been a penalty. Anyway, they declined the penalty, of course, did the Colts, but that's just, like, low football IQ stuff. Why would you slide there, throw the ball out of bounds? It made no sense to me whatsoever. And, by the way, he almost threw another interception if Jacoby Myers didn't turn into the defensive back, right, where... He makes the play on Kenny Moore. I don't know if Mac actually saw that defender. If he did, it's a horribly thrown ball. Either way, either it's a poorly thrown ball or it's a bad decision. Jacoby Myers almost made an incredible catch, but that's on Mac Jones. It's a poorly thrown ball. So you look at Mac coming into this game and what we've seen, and this is now becoming a theme with Mac Jones, when he gets himself in trouble, he doesn't really go through his progressions, right? It's just like he wants to get out and run. And I understand his offensive line has been a mess and it's been an issue the past couple of weeks. But the point being is he doesn't really stand in the pocket. He almost freaks out and the numbers would indicate that in terms of the pressure. Mac Jones, in terms of when he's pressured this season, he's completing 41.4% of his passes and he has a 15.4 rating. Only Zach Wilson is worse. And we saw how bad Zach Wilson was against pressure. So that's the only guy that's worse against pressure than Mac Jones this year. When he's clean, 97.1 rating, 72.5%. This is year two for Mac Jones. He's got to be better against pressure. And we saw it again today where he's taking sacks. Now, some of those sacks, of course, early in the game are on the offensive line. But how many times does he just bail from the pocket? I, I don't understand why he does that all the time. So the other issue, too, that we mentioned off the top was the third down. The third downs continue to be a problem for the Patriots. They come into today at 17th in the NFL on third down, but it's been getting worse, 39.8%. In the first half today, they're two of eight, which is 25%. Carolina's last in the NFL at 26.8. So for the game, they go six of 17 on third down, 35.3%. So worse than they usually are. And you think through some of these big third downs where the Patriots, I mean, they really should have beat the shit out of the Colts. And look, the score indicates that they dominated them, but it was the defense that dominated them. It wasn't the offense. The Patriots should have scored 35 to 42 points in this game. Second drive of the game that we mentioned, that was a third down where he didn't see Henry. On the fourth drive of the game, Mack overthrew Stevenson, who was down the sideline. Now, he had the defender beat, and maybe that's a difficult throw to make. But the point being is, you want your quarterback every once in a while to make a big play. That was an opportunity to make a big play. 
and Mac Jones couldn't do that. Later on, the fifth drive of the game, incomplete to Stevenson, where Buckner had beat Wynn. That's not really on Mac Jones. That's more on the offensive line. But then you had the drive that made it 16-3. to That was on a third and four, and he didn't look on the trip side. So it's the quarterback. It's the offense in general. Third down is supposed to be critical for your team. The Patriots have been awful, and they were again today in that particular situation. You look at it, just their yards per play today. The Patriots, 3.3 yards per play. They came into today 14th at 5.5. Pittsburgh is last at 4.7. The Patriots were 3.3 yards per play. So it's great they got to win in all that, but you have to look at some of these things where it continues to be a trend with this team, right? The past two weeks, week seven and eight, the Patriots were 31st to the NFL in EPA per play on offense. So that's an efficiency stat. So there's only been one team at the NFL over the past two weeks that was less efficient than the Patriots are. And at least if you go back to the beginning of the season when Mac was throwing some picks, like the Baltimore game, at least he threw for 321 yards. Now he's doing nothing in terms of putting up any numbers whatsoever. And then the red zone. The red zone's an issue again today. Now, they did score on the one after the block, but then, remember, they get down to the two-yard line, and Stevenson gets blown up for a three-yard loss. Stevenson up the middle for nothing. I don't know why you're running right up the middle from the five-yard line. You shouldn't be doing that to begin with. That's a Patricia thing. And then Mac then scrambles. No one's open. He slides. And that was not Mac's fault. He was pressured relatively quickly on that play. But that's your play calling in the red zone. Stevenson, three-yard loss. Let's run the running back up to gut and Mac Jones running for his life. I mean, the offense in the red zone has got to be better. In terms of the touchdown percentage on the season, 29th at the NFL, 45.83. That's horrible. 45.83% in terms of how often you're getting a touchdown when you get into the red zone. And all season long, we've been looking at the Patriots missing out on opportunities from an offensive perspective. And again, we saw that in the red zone today. And I did feel like they were trying to get Johnny Smith involved in this game a little bit early. And their first like big play of the game is a nice little screen to Johnny Smith. It was one of the rare good play calls for Patricia in this game where the defense was up and Johnny Smith does what he does where he's very good after he gets the ball in his hands. 8.7 yak per reception last year. That was third in the NFL. It was first among tight ends. But you never really see that screen again to Johnny Smith. And they found something with the tight ends where... They line them up in the backfield a couple times with Ramondre Stevenson. The touchdown catch by Ramondre Stevenson, remember Hunter Henry lined up in the backfield and outstanding catch by Ramondre Stevenson, but it was just another thing for the defense to think about it. You had a 10-yard run from Stevenson when John was in the backfield with him, and then you also had Thornton was wide open. Mac just missed him. On another time, they had the tight end of the backfield, so I would have liked to see them go to that more because it seemed like every time they did it, it actually worked. And I don't know why Patricia didn't go back to it. He did it three times and he's like, ah, yeah, we're good with this. Why don't you keep using that if it's working? Well, remember from the old Patriots is they would spam stuff, right? If something works, keep doing it. Make the defense stop you. And it just didn't feel like the Patriots did that in this game today. Uh, By the way, Stevenson was really good again. I mean, not a surprise. He had that huge 16-yard run on first and 20, which was Pretty ridiculous. The tight, the touchdown grab, it's back-to-back weeks. This guy's making circus catches, a tremendous player. But the other thing I would ask in terms of the offense is, who were the Patriots featuring in this game? Like, who do you think they were like, okay, this is the guy that's going to have a big game for us today. And that's where I feel like that's an identity thing, right? Most teams around the league know that. Like, the Dolphins know, hey, we're getting Tyreek Hill involved in the game. The Chiefs know, hey, you know what? We're getting the ball to that Kelsey guy in this game today. And it just feels like the Patriots, they don't really have that game plan where they're saying, okay, this guy's going to have a big game for us. And Jacoby Myers always has a big game. But other than that, we didn't see a whole lot of Thornton in terms of getting him involved in the offense. They tried, I guess, to get 
Kendrick Bourne a little bit involved. But I just feel like you have to know, hey, this is the guy that we want to get to the ball to. And the Patriots, it just doesn't seem like they really have that right now. The other thing I mentioned is the Isaiah Wynn thing. I mean, he doesn't start the game. You got Yadni Kajust out there. And later on, Wynn comes in, gets a hold. That's eight penalties on the season. Most of the NFL. I mean, this is a horrible thing that they picked up this guy's fifth-year contract. He he can't even play. I mean, <laughs> the guy's a bad football player right now. And this is a guy that you picked in the first round, unfortunately, for the Patriots. And it's hurting them because you're not supposed to be playing these backup players, but you have to do it because Isaiah Wynn is not living up to what he was supposed to be coming out of the collegiate level. And then you had another turnover today, not on Mac. That's on Jacoby Myers in terms of the fumble. Now the Patriots, 17 turnovers on the season, most in the NFL, or I guess... The Colts passed him today. The Colts are up to, no, they're both at 17 after today because they were both at 16. So yeah, the, the Colts the Colts are right there with the Patriots in terms of turnovers. So that's another thing where if you look at this stuff, right, the third down, the red zone, and then you look at, okay, well, the Patriots are 17th at the NFL in points per game at 22.1. Last year, they were 7th at the NFL at 26.6. Well, why is this shit happening? Why are their points way down? It's all that. It's most turnovers at the NFL. It's you can't convert on third down. It's you can't punch in when you get into the red zone. It's these things that have just compounded. And it's really amazing that we're here with this team. I didn't think that would be the case after what we saw from Mac Jones the majority of last season. And I am interested to see. I don't believe the quarterback controversy is over now because now Mac Jones has had two full games to start. And I've been critical of the play calling. I thought Matt Patricia had a bad game today, but the Patriots really had two weeks this season where their offense looked good. Those two weeks, Bailey Zappi was the quarterback of the Patriots. So do the Patriots look at that and say, hey, maybe we owe it to ourselves and the team to give this thing a second look and maybe we can't run it better right now with Bailey Zappi? Because I just, I would like to know what is it right now that Mac Jones is doing well, because I just don't feel like he's doing anything well. And I understand all the obstacles in terms of some of the play calling issues, some of the offensive line, but I just don't see good play from the quarterback right now. And that's why, from my perspective, I came away from this game disappointed because as dominant as the defense was, the offense now going into the bye week, you don't feel any better about this team. You don't feel like there's been an improvement. Do you have faith in the second half of the season now that this Patriots team is going to be good offensively? Because Unfortunately, I certainly don't. All right, let's get to the good for the Patriots, which was the defense. So you knew this was going to be a tough game for the Colts because they didn't have Jonathan Taylor. They came into today 29th in the NFL in yards per carry at 3.7. So that meant that the Patriots were very easily going to be able to put this game on Sam Ellinger. And we saw not a very good player. Not that you should expect him to be. It's not like anybody thought this guy was going to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. The other problem for the Colts is they have the most expensive offensive line in the NFL and they blow. 3.3 sacks per game. That's 28th in the NFL. They give up and we saw the Patriots all over the Colts today in terms of getting after the quarterback, which was just massive for this team. So if you look at it, Judon was really the guy that got it going. I mean, three sacks. So now he's up to 11 and a half sacks on the season. I mean, we may be talking about him chasing down the record. The record's what, 22 and a half? Like, Judon has a legitimate opportunity. If he has a game like he did today, where you get that three sack game, I thought he was going to get a fourth at one point. Like, if you get to 11 and a half through your first nine games, you have a real opportunity here to chase down that sack record, which would be pretty interesting to watch. But here's the thing to me about Judon, too, is, I mean, we can go through some of the plays. He had the two early sacks on Gaines, which is, I mean, give Steve Belichick, Gerard Mayo credit for that. And I don't know what the fucking Colts were doing. But anyway, how about on 
the Colts field goal drive on that third and seven. He has the huge sack. And then on the fourth down, he gets in position to make that play on the running play. So he just comes up with big games, uh, big plays, splash plays all the time. We saw that certainly today. And the other thing, as much as we criticize some of the stuff with the Patriots, that's a really good contract that Bill signed. Four for 54 and a half, 13.6 per season. So just to put that into context, some of these other edge rushers, if you will, Bradley Chubb just got 22 mil. Bradley Chubb's a really good player. But I'm just saying, like, look at the difference there. 13.6 compared to 22. Mack makes 23.5. Crosby for the Raiders makes 25. He's a good player, but I'm just looking at the contract. You're getting all the bang out of the buck for that contract that you signed John Us- or that you signed Matthew Judon to. So that's a really good contract. I was getting confused because I said John o. Smith earlier. John o. Smith's contract, not good. This contract that Bill signed, really good. Oh, another big development I thought today. And look, I'm not going to overreact to one game, but Josh Uche showed up, right? Uche played well in this game. He had that sack at the end of the second quarter to force a punt. Right before half, remember, he chased Ellinger out of bounds. He looked really fast out there today. And this is kind of what we've been waiting for from Uche, right? Like, I remember when the Patriots drafted him out of Michigan and just looking in, looking into some of the stuff with him, he was number two in the country in win rate, pass rush win rate coming out of Michigan behind only Chase Young, who, of course, went number two overall to the Washington football team at the time. But it felt like, OK, maybe this kid has something. And he really hasn't been somebody that gave you production through his first couple of years in the NFL. But hey, maybe this is something. Maybe this game is the start of something really nice for Josh Uche because he was a major factor in this game. <laughs> you think about the Colts, they had eight first downs. Carolina's last day of the NFL at 14.5. So look, and we can go through it and say they don't have good receivers. They didn't have their running back. Their line stinks. Sam Ellinger isn't good. But this is what the defense had to do because your offense didn't show up for the majority of the game. The defense had to dominate. You got to give them credit for that. The defense was tremendous in this game. The one thing I do want to see now is do it to a good team, right? Because Lamar ran all over you. Justin Fields ran all over you as well. I just want to see what this Patriots team does. This defense does when it plays a good offense, right? Like you're going to play Minnesota in a couple of weeks. What do you do against Minnesota? The Buffalo Bills lost today, but what do you do against the Buffalo Bills? Because I think what we've seen over the past few years of the Patriots, they beat the bad teams and they lose to the good teams. Like when's the last time the Patriots beat a good football team? I would go back to the Bills, the windstorm where Mac Jones only threw the ball three times. So this defense looks really dominant at times. It got exposed against a couple of teams, as we mentioned. But what are they going to do when they play a big time opponent? Because I don't have any faith that the offense is going to bounce back and turn into a really good unit. So you're going to have to be carried by that defense. And that means the defense has to play good against actual real competition, not the Sam Ellingers of the world and the Zach Wilsons of the world. Oh, I should mention the special teams, too. Jonathan Jones had the block, which was huge. Set you up for that touchdown where first and goal at the two. Ramondre Stevenson, as we know. But that was a big play. Marcus Jones had a 23-yard return that set up a field goal eventually. He also had a nice return on a kickoff as well for 32 yards. And he's definitely a better weapon for this team as it pertains to the return game. So big thing for the special teams because, I mean, Jake Bailey earlier in this game, that punt he had, I'm like, what the fuck? This guy sucks. But the Patriots are finding a way in the special teams in terms of the return game, the block today. That was a really nice play by Jonathan Jones where he kind of hid that he was going after the punter. Nobody saw him. He gets... Perfect play by him, and that's exactly what the Patriots needed at that particular point in time. But big thing to me today is, I hate to say it, I want to feel better about this team, but I don't. I'm just really concerned about the offense, and I'm really concerned about what they're going to do in the second half of the season, because the quarterback isn't playing well, 
The play caller's not doing a good job. The offensive line is a mess right now, and it doesn't feel like they know what they are as an offense. They don't really have an identity as an offense outside of, hey, Ramondre Stevenson's one of the best running backs of the NFL. Let's get him the ball and let's throw it to Jacoby Myers. They don't really have an identity. All right, a lot more to get into. We're going to chat with my buddy Doug Kide from Pro Football Focus next. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kids' education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Joining us now from Pro Football Focus, it is Doug Kide. Doug, what's up, man? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Like, I'm happy that the Patriots won. But, Doug, I, I can't be optimistic about what we saw from this Patriots offense, right? Because, like, the defense was great. I mean, they were outstanding. But the Patriots offense, it feels like it's getting worse right now. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's it's very uninspired. I guess they did essentially what they had to do to win that game. But I mean, I, I was I was just briefly looking through, you know, all the advanced stats for this game and everything. And the Patriots actually had a negative EPA per play uh for on on every pass, on every run. Uh so Ugh. did the Colts. So I mean, that just tells you how defensively and special teams dominated this performance was that both teams averaged a negative EPA per play. Yeah, I mean, it felt that way, didn't it? It was an eyesore, especially, I mean, the first quarter was a complete debacle. So what do you think, Doug, right now, from your perspective, is the biggest issue for this team? Now, I I don't think the quarterback is playing particularly well. The scheme has not been great. The offensive line is now an issue. Is there one thing that jumps out to you more than the rest? I, I do... I do think it's Mac Jones not trusting what's in front of him, not trusting the offensive line, essentially, because even when he's not under pressure, he still plays like he's under pressure. There was a play early in the game where he just bailed out way too quickly and the pressure wasn't even coming. And then he started to scramble out. And that's when the pressure bore down. And I think they actually did wind up sacking him on that play. So I really he doesn't look comfortable in the pocket. And you can blame the offensive line. The offensive line was not good in this game. They allowed a ton of pressures, um, a, a bunch of sacks in this game. But I, I, I actually don't think it was as big of an issue as Mac Jones was in this game. Yeah, I'm with you. And that jumped out to me too. the pressure stuff, right? It's like almost like he bails the pocket like too early, which I don't get. I mean, Baker Mayfield used to do this all the time when he used to back up. Mac doesn't do that. It's almost like he's getting ready to scramble and he's getting himself in trouble. I mean, by the numbers, the only quarterback that's been worse against pressure is Zach Wilson. I mean, that's not good company to be in. So I do wonder like what they have to do to get him to trust himself a little bit more, right? Because it does seem like he has checkdowns available. He doesn't take them. Like one of the plays that you were talking about, he has Hunter Henry in the flat. Right. He just doesn't see him. There's another play in the game later on, Doug, where they're going for it on, I believe it was a third and three. He has trips to the right. He has Stevenson on the left side. He doesn't even look at the three receivers on the right side. I just, at times I just, I don't know, like, is he just, is he pressing too much? Is he worried about his ankle? Like, what is the issue with this guy right now? I think it is just a lack of comfort, maybe even in the offense, because he did look like such a different quarterback last year with Josh McDaniels as the offensive coordinator. And I know things went downhill a little bit there in the second half of the season, but 
I think he just can't get in a rhythm this year. And that's been the biggest issue is that, so I'm not sure if it is the offense. I'm not sure if it's the ankle, I'm not sure if it's an offensive line. I think in all reality, it's probably a combination of all three things, but you know, in this game, when he was under pressure, he went five of 10 to 42 yards with, with his only passing touchdown. And he wasn't under pressure 15 of 20 for 106 yards. I just don't think that those numbers are significantly different, whether he was under pressure or not. So I think that that's, really what i'm seeing in this and that uh, yeah he's not trusting what's in front of him he's not getting a rhythm he's not getting comfortable and i don't want to you know pass all the blame off to mac jones i do think the offensive line is certainly lacking and they need to figure out what they're going to do there because i don't think that they can go into every game saying all right you know if this guy struggles in the first series the first two series then we're going to bench him they they need to also find a rhythm on their offensive line right now yeah, and I think the other thing that jumps out to me about the offense is you know what you have in Ramondre Stevenson. He's one of the best running backs in the NFL. You know what you have with Jacoby Myers. Outside of the fumble today, he's been pretty much reliable all season long. But who's after that, right, on the pecking order? It's like, okay, you thought it would be born coming into the season. Obviously, he didn't get a lot of playing time early, got more playing time today. Okay, I thought after the Cleveland game, maybe we're going to see more of Thornton. And I know he's been out there a lot more, but he's not really that involved the tight ends have been invisible. They found some stuff with the tight ends today where Hunter Henry had a couple of grabs. It was nice to see him get involved. John o. Smith had a nice run after the catch. But I just feel like, Doug, it's almost like they're trying to do things for everybody instead of just like creating this hierarchy in a pecking order and say, hey, he's the guy that's going to get involved after Jacoby Myers and Ramondre Stevens. And maybe it's just that guy hasn't emerged when they were in training camp or throughout the season. Maybe that's part of it as well. Yeah, I think that that's part of it. And you know, obviously it worked for a number of years in New England with Tom Brady being able to spread the ball around. And I think that ideally that's probably what they would want to do in this offense and spread the ball around beyond Jacoby Myers and Ramondre Stevenson to the two tight ends, to Kendrick Bourne, Vontae Parker when he's healthy, Tyquan Thornton, if he can get up to speed. But I do think that, you know, getting a, a solid pecking order in the offense, having a, you know, knowing who Mac Jones is going to be throwing to as his number two and number three wide receivers, or if it's going to be a two tight end offense, and if they're going to get Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry more involved, and they're going to get play action more involved, and maybe that's what the offense gears more towards. I do think that they need to figure that out because I do think that that will allow Mac Jones to get into more of a rhythm. And yeah, I do think the tight ends have been doing a better job getting involved, but I say that, and they still only had 71 yards receiving today. I know that, yeah. like you said, Johnny Smith had the good run after catch. Uh, Hunter Henry was wide open on down the seam um, late in the game. But it's not the best sign when you're saying, oh, it was a pretty good game from the tight ends when they combined <laughs> for seven catches and 71 yards. Yeah, and they're two of the highest paid tight ends in right. the NFL. It's not exactly what you want from that amount of money. So now we enter the bye week, and... I was talking about this earlier. I do wonder, Doug, if there starts to be some internal discussions of, hey, like the only time the offense really looked good this season was with Bailey Zappi. Do you think that that ship has sailed for Bill or do you think this is going to be a conversation they have over the bye week since they have this extended break, if you will? I can't see it, especially coming off two wins. Um, I think it's something that potentially could happen later in the season. And certainly if they had lost these two <laughs> these two games, then I think it could potentially be a discussion just because Mac Jones has not played well in these two wins and they've sort of won despite him uh, to some degree. So no, I don't think it's time to go back to that. And I think that that was part of the issue too, is that I know that internally they were trying to, you know, maybe not draw up a, a quarterback controversy, but they were trying to 
have Mac Jones be a little bit more uncomfortable, maybe push him to make fewer mistakes and to play a little bit better. And you know, maybe that's worked over the last two weeks. Mac Jones, I don't think had a single turnover worthy play in this game. Uh, and even last week, the one interception was because he was hit while throwing. Jacoby Myers fessed up to running the wrong route on what would have been a pick six. So Mac Jones is protecting the ball better. I think he's taking fewer risks um, and they're winning. So I don't think that this is the time to turn to Bailey Zappi. But if they do start losing, then I think that I don't I wouldn't necessarily blame them for having a quick trigger finger at a certain point here. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think the thing that concerns me about Mac, Doug, is it's very rare that we see the quarterback in year two, like significantly regress, right? Like a couple right. of guys come to mind, like RG3, who was coming off the injury. He was way worse. And by the way, he like went up to the Shanahan's office to report and said, hey, you're taking these plays out of there, which I don't know why they would side with Robert Griffin over the Shanahan's. They have a pretty good resume. But so you had that one. And then you had Baker, who took a big step back. Now, yep. Baker, to me, I felt like that was more like he was trying to force it to Odell Beckham Jr. after a pretty good rookie season. But most of these guys, even if they don't take the leap in year two, there is improvement, right? And it feels mm-hmm. like Mac has gone the opposite way. Like you think about where Mac was for the majority of last season. You're like, okay, this is just the start of it. Like the, he, we know he can manage a game. And now it doesn't even feel like from my perspective at times, he can even do that, right? Like, can he even just be the passenger right now? And that's my concern is, well, if he's not getting better in year two, is he going to make this big leap in year three? And we know just from a physical profile standpoint, it's not like he's got the Josh Allen arm or he has all these tools where you don't know how high the ceiling is anyway. Yeah, I agree. And I, coming into the season, I wrote a lot for some reason about the the 2021 quarterback class and you know getting opinions from people and everything like that. And I did think that heading into this season, the quarterback who might not take a major step forward in year two and had a chance to regress actually was Mac Jones just because he lost Josh McDaniels. And to go from Josh McDaniels to Matt Patricia and Joe Judge is obviously a, a pretty massive downgrade there. Um, other quarterbacks did experience either head coaching changes or coordinator changes, but it wasn't quite as dramatic as what Mac Jones went through with in, in New England. And then what we saw in the, the training camp and preseason when the offense was struggling so much, I was thinking... Now, there's a good chance that we might not see the same Mac Jones that we did last season. And if we do, then we don't see him take that next step like Joe Burrow did in year two last year. I think that that was kind of the hope that, you know, Joe Burrow is kind of a similar quarterback who doesn't have the big traits that some of these other quarterbacks like Josh Allen does and some of these other, you know, Patrick Mahomes and everything like that. But he still did improve significantly in year two. I think a lot of that was just getting offensive pieces in place, getting Jamar Chase. And the Patriots also didn't do that. They traded for mm-hmm. Devontae Parker, but he's not Jamar Chase. Uh, they don't have that big playmaker in their offense that, that other teams do. And as good as Jacoby Myers is, you know, he's not. He's not Jamar Chase. He's probably at best, probably a number two in, in an offense. Um, so I think it is concerning. I will say that, you know, maybe things, maybe he he does see some some you know, positive regression after the buy now, maybe he can settle into place. Uh, maybe that helps him get healthy because even on some of these scrambles that he's had over the last two weeks, doesn't look quite as fast. I know the Mac Jones isn't a speed demon out there or anything like that. Um, but even just maneuvering the pocket today, he didn't look, you know, quite as mobile as usual. He's just so antsy in the pocket too, that, that maybe this break will help him. And maybe you do start to see a better quarterback after the bye week, at least that's what the Patriots obviously have to hope. Yeah, they got to have like a very, very productive bye week and figure out, hey, what works for him? What works for us? And get it all ironed out because I do feel like the second half of the season is going to be massive in terms of 
the evaluation process of Mac Jones, whether or not you're going to stick with him long term. Not to say they're about to give up on it. I'm just saying they're going to have to see here in this stretch. Because, I mean, you think about if we had this conversation a year ago and say, hey, would you right. take Justin Fields over Mac? Everyone say, no, Mac's really good. But right now, I wouldn't even hesitate. I mean, Justin Fields can run like crazy. I mean, we saw what he did to the Patriots, and he's throwing the ball better than he was earlier this season. So I don't think anybody would hesitate if you were saying Justin Fields or Mac Jones right now. So I would I would even say, like, I, not to – sorry to cut you off there, but, like, I know that sometimes Patriots fans live in a bubble, and they really only closely pay attention to the Patriots and everything like that. Mac Jones unequivocally is playing like one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL right now. And like, and I know that there's extenuating circumstances. I know he's dealing with the ankle injury. I know the offensive line has, has been a mess, but like after this game, especially he's going to be one of our lowest graded quarterbacks on the season. Uh, and that's it. That's obviously a gigantic concern. Yeah. And I know too, part of it, and I guess this is me just like reading his body language or whatever, but I know part of it's because they didn't have a lot of big plays, but I just remember Mac even earlier on in the season, definitely last year, he used to get fired up all the time. Right. Like he was really boisterous at times, not to say like he did anything demeaning to the opposition, but I mean, he danced and stuff. It just, it feels like some of that energy has been zapped out of him. Maybe it's just the fact that they're not moving the ball while well, that could be part of it. But on the defense now, Josh Uche, we've been waiting for him for like two and a half years, right? And <laughs> yeah. he was, I mean, some of the, like the, outlying numbers at Michigan were really good. And today, Doug, this is the best game I've seen him play. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, four total pressures, three sacks. Uh, only one of those pressures was unblocked. Beat his defender on another play out there as well. Um, so if you can get, you know, Josh Uche and Matt Judon, obviously they're not going to have three sacks apiece in every game. But if they can be significant threats off the edge moving forward here, then I think the defense could really build on something, especially when you get Christian Barmore back in the defense and, you know, some of the secondary pieces uh, settle into the place a little bit more. I will say, I mean, obviously the last two games have been very promising on defense, but Zach Wilson was playing like a chicken with his head cut off every time that he was under pressure last week. And Sam Ellinger, great story. Um, he's not ready. I think that's pretty clear after la watching the last two weeks that I don't know why the Colts announced, you know, when Matt Ryan went down with the injury that, you know, that Sam Ellinger was going to be their quarterback, their starting quarterback for the rest of the season, because at this point that seems extremely premature and yeah. AFC South is still relatively wide open. I know the Tennessee Titans have the best record, but they haven't been an overly good team. Like the Colts could still compete. And I don't think they can, can compete with Sam Ellinger as their starting quarterback. No, well, hey, good thing they fired their offensive coordinator because that was really <laughs> effective today. I mean, oh, yeah. I don't even get that. Like, it, Frank Reich's calling the plays anyway. Like, how is it like it was the offensive coordinator's fault? I mean, didn't really seem like that was an issue today. I don't think it was the I don't think if uh, I don't think the offensive coordinator was great today either, even though they don't really have one. But on the Uche front, like I'm starting to buy into him again because you see it. Yeah. Like, the dude's got like legit speed and we knew that. He's been dealing with a lot of injuries. So I'm hoping that that is something going forward. But you're right about just like the opposition has not been great lately. But with Judon, 11 and a half sacks. And Doug, like I'm thinking about it right now off the top of my head. You have Micah Parsons obviously having an outstanding season. But it does feel like Judon's going to be in that conversation maybe for the defensive player of the year after what we've seen through the first nine games or so. I mean, he's been downright dominant. Yeah, he really has. I mean, like you said, 11 and a half sacks in nine games. Um, he's, he's on pace to set records out there, essentially. Um, you know, it's, he's, 
Some of them have been unblocked in this game. He had three unblocked pressures on four total pressures. So some of these are, you know, schemed up. Some of it is the rest of the defense doing a good job around him. But you've got to finish as a pass rusher, and that's one of the toughest parts um, about the gig. And he's been doing a fantastic job of doing that. Uh, seems like he's basically a quarterback magnet out there. I would say, though, you know, not to not to trend negatively here again, but Judon can't disappear like he did in the second half of last year now. Um, yep. Because we saw... No, it wasn't quite as dominant. He didn't have 11 and a half sacks in the first nine weeks of the season. Uh, but he was much better in the first half of the season last year than he was in the second half. So he's got to come out of the bye week uh, with the same level of intensity, um, you know, same production, same efficiency, same ability to finish um, because he's, I mean, he's been a major force in the Patriots defense. And, you know, I don't know if they do win some of these games if he's not making some of these plays. Yeah, he's been outstanding. You're right, though. I mean, I remember that last. He was MIA after the bye week. I mean, it's still, they need to do like a documentary on what exactly happened during the bye week last year because the <laughs> Patriots, they just like, I remember they were like, there was like some thing about like, oh, well, they had to play a, on a Saturday. They didn't get the full bye week that everybody else did. Like, it, it was a complete debacle after the bye. Um, yeah. So one one guy that is really a question mark right now is Jake Bailey. Like, what happened to this guy? This guy used to be an incredible punter. And this year, like, legitimately by some of the numbers, he's the worst punter in the league. You saw that one today. I, I mean, I don't know what that was. Yeah, I mean, his average net today was 34.4 yards, um, had seven punts, only one inside the 20. Um, it, it's it's really been pretty strange. And I know he was dealing with an injury last year. So maybe mm. that's just lingered. Maybe that's thrown off his mechanics. You know, punters and kickers are weird. And usually you don't see this with a punter. I think punters are maybe a little bit more consistent than a kicker, whereas sometimes a kicker just loses it and he turns into, you know, Chuck Knobloch out there and and can't hit it through the uprights. You don't usually see that with a punter, but that would be my biggest question is whether, you know, whatever it was that he was dealing with last year to just fix his mechanics around a little bit, make sure that whatever it is isn't bothering him. Because like you said, I mean, by a lot of the metrics, I haven't checked all of them uh, after the last two weeks, but at least through the first six weeks of the season or seven weeks of the season, he was basically playing like the worst punter in the NFL. And he's also one of the highest paid punters in the NFL <laughs> and they can't cut him. Uh, no one's obviously, you can't trade him at this point. Um, so if they even did want to make a change at punter, I think what they would have to do is place him on IR and then sign another guy or just keep him on the roster and sign another guy because it would legitimately subtract salary cap space from the Patriots if they cut him. And they're so tight up against the cap that that's not even a possibility right now. Yeah, it's really, I did not expect this to be like a topic of conversation this year that <laughs> right. Bailey was going to be bad because I mean, the guy was like an elite punter for a number of years. Hey, so how about this situation with the Raiders? Josh McDaniels, man, like a couple of weeks ago, he met with Mark Davis after meeting with them earlier on this season they lose to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Like, is there, I know they're paying him a lot of money. Any possibility that Josh is a one and done? I, I don't think so. And this isn't something that I, I know for sure, but it's something certainly worth looking into. Mark Davis is not, you know, the Walton family. He's not, he's not a billionaire outside of owning an NFL team. Right. So, in order to fire a head coach and then hire a new one to another massive contract, got to have a lot of liquid assets to do that. And you've got to be willing to, you know, flush a lot of money down the toilet. 
And I'm not sure if that's even a possibility for the Raiders right now. Also, the fact that they bring in Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler, I think that your vision there is for, you know, four, five, ten years down the road, not necessarily in one year, in just year one. So you've got to think that he's going to have a pretty long leash there. I think he deserves it. Um, obviously, the drafting was so bad for the Raiders for so many years uh, with Gruden and Mayock and everything like that. The Raiders were able to stay competitive through it, but there was also some pretty dramatic scheme changes on offense and defense. I'm not trying to make excuses for the Raiders. They yeah. should not be as bad as they are. They should not be, you know, losing after leading by whatever it was, 17 points today uh, to the Jaguars and then you know having that entire lead erased. But I think the reality of the situation is that Josh McDaniels will have time to turn this around because I don't think that Mark Davis would want to fire Josh McDaniels and then have to pay a new head coach and maybe even, you know, a new GM just because Ziegler and McDaniels came in together. Yeah, he's not David Tepper who can go ahead and he can fire right. Matt Rule because he's got the dough. He's not in that situation. No. Uh, before we let you go, Doug, so my producer and I, Jamie, were talking about this before you came on. So is the Jets win now like a good win for the Patriots? Because, <laughs> I mean, they beat the Bills. I, I mean, seriously, that just, I mean, I guess it's kind of a good sign for the Patriots that the Bills look beatable just because they do still have those two games moving forward here. So maybe they're able to win one of those. I'll, I'll need to watch that Jets-Bills game a little bit more carefully or a little bit more closely because I would guess that Zach Wilson wasn't making those strange boneheaded decisions every time that he's under pressure to roll out to his left and right and you know throw it, try to throw it out of bounds and wind up throwing it to a, a Bills defender. I think that I don't think Zach Wilson was good in this game based on what I'm looking at from our initial stats. But I don't think that he was as disastrous as he was last week. So um, it's a good win. And the, it it's certainly a good sign that the Patriots were able to force that out of Zach Wilson. So I think the Patriots defense is certainly on the rise right now. Um, but it also looks like Josh Allen essentially played like, like Zach Wilson did last week. He had only <laughs> one big time throw. He had three turnover worthy plays. Um, he, he said after the game that, uh, you know, can't win when your quarterback plays like crap. So um, I think that that's essentially what happened in this game is that Josh Allen turned into Zach Wilson. Um, but, you know, obviously now the Patriots have to hope that Josh Allen does the same thing when he faces them. And they have the defense to potentially force that too, especially if Josh Uche, like we said, is able to keep getting pressure, Matt Judon. Um, obviously, they've got a good secondary in New England. So it's possible they could force some mistakes out of Josh Allen. Yeah, my hope is that a lot of people, well, I'm in a survivor pool, Doug. There's four people left. I'm hoping some people pick the Bills because that would really help me out. I, and I, I still think, got them left. I I think that they probably should have after watching the Jets <laughs> last week. But I mean, isn't it also kind of amazing that everyone was predicting the AFC West to be the best division in, in football this year? I, I don't think if you had told anyone that the Patriots would be five and four at the bye week, I don't think you would have, anyone would have predicted they would have been in last place at this point. <laughs> I know. Like, this is absolutely insane that the Patriots have played a little bit above their head. I think they're a little bit lucky to be five and four, um, but they're also experiencing some bad luck to still be in last place now at this point. Yeah, you're not kidding, man. It's crazy how good this division's been. I never saw it coming either. That is Doug Kide from Pro Football Focus. Doug, thanks so much for the time, man. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Anytime. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. 
I'm not jogging. I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. Great stuff there from Doug Kide from Pro Football Focus. We get time for a call. That number is 617-396-7172. 617-396-7172. Hey, Brian Mitchell from Toronto calling. I know there's been a lot of conversations in the last few weeks about disappointment around Max start to the season. And frankly, I'm one of those people. We all had high expectations coming out of last year that we'd see that step forward. And frankly, we just haven't seen it. I think one of the things I've been thinking about over the last few weeks is what do you think his ceiling is? Given what we've seen last year, what we've seen to start this year, I see his ceiling almost as a Jimmy G or potentially even Alex Smith in his prime type quarterback. A guy you can still build around, but somebody that you're not sure if he's going to be able to get you over the hump. Is that where you see him landing? I know it's a little bit early to tell, but I think it's about time we have these conversations, especially as we're evaluating his future. Thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. I'm with you in terms of the ceiling. That's where I think it is. It's a guy that is slightly better than a game manager, like Alex Smith, like Kirk Cousins, who I know is having a good season for Minnesota, but that type of quarterback. I mean, he doesn't really have anything that jumps off the screen at you, right? He can't make some crazy throw on the run. He's not going to pick up a lot of first downs with his legs. He doesn't have a cannon for an arm that he can fit in a ton of tight window throws. He's just not, for an NFL quarterback, he's not super talented like we see so many of these guys with all the tools like the Justin Herberts of the world around the league. So yeah, best case scenario is he ends up like one of those guys that is a really good game manager. But the problem right now for me is, Mac's done a poor job managing the game so far this season. Now, no turnovers today for Mac. I mean, you had the fumble, so that's a good thing moving forward, but he didn't make any big plays either, right? So, I mean, right now, he's not giving you a big upside in terms of big plays or anything along those lines, and he's had a real issue this season with turnovers. So right now, he's not even a game manager, which is an issue going forward as well. All right, I did want to get to the Bruins story from over the weekend. They signed Mitchell Miller. If you're not familiar, he was convicted in juvenile court in 2016 for racially abusing a kid. The kid is also disabled. Miller and another kid tricked this kid into licking a lollipop that they had run through a urinal. And that's when he was charged with assault. Okay, so this is obviously a major issue for the Bruins that they signed this kid, Mitchell Miller, who did this to a kid when he was, I get it, he was younger. But this isn't a little mistake, right? This is a major character flaw, even if you're 14 at the time. The mother of the kid talked with The Athletic. She said, it's sad that Mitchell and his family think his career trumps being a good person. That's kind of the message the Bruins are sending, too. The talent trumps what you do. She said that she had not heard directly from anybody with the Bruins, either before or after the signing. She also said that her son is not doing well following the news, of course. His mother also told The Athletic that Mitchell forced her son to say he was his N-word, to sit at a table with him or he had to sit by himself. 
So he was using racial slurs at this kid. He, of course, did this thing with the lollipop as well. It's just a major character flaw, even if you're 14, that this happened. I get it. We all make mistakes when we're young, but the level of mistake shouldn't reach this level. And what I don't understand is this. So Gary Bettman, of course, the commissioner of the NHL, said the Bruins did not consult the league before signing him, Mitchell Miller. Bettman said he would need to see a whole bunch of things going forward before he could play in the NHL. The deputy commissioner told ESPN that Bettman wouldn't rule on the eligibility of his eligibility until a hearing. So they would need a hearing for him to even be eligible to play in the NHL. So now, of course, naturally, and the Bruins, of course, lose Saturday night to Toronto, the Bruins players are being asked about this. Here's what Patrice Bergeron, the captain of the team, said. The culture we built here goes against that type of behavior. We're a team built with character and character people. What he did is unacceptable and we don't stand by it. In this locker room, we're all about inclusion, diversity, and respect. Those are the key words and the core values that we have. Nick Felino, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't think any guy was too happy because of how proud we are to say that this group cares a lot about ourselves and how we carry ourselves and how we treat people. Okay. These are obviously Patrice Bergeron is the captain of the team, the leader of the team. Nick Felino is an older player in the league. Like, this is how the locker room feels. When Patrice Bergeron says something like this, this is how his guys in the dressing room feel right now. That's why he says something along those lines. And what I just don't understand is why would the Bruins make this type of move? Why would you sign this guy? You're the best team at the NHL coming into the weekend. You've been unbelievable. You knew that this was going to create chaos. And how did you not reach out to the kid's mother? That's what I don't understand that either. So it just and you don't even know if he's ever going to play in the NHL. Batman said he's not eligible to play right now. So I just don't understand why the Bruins would do something along these lines. I get it. This is a guy that had first round talent and all that, but it's not worth it. It's not worth bringing in this guy to your organization. And what I would predict is he's not here by the end of the week, that the Bruins are eventually going to admit they made a mistake and they're going to move on. Like you do stuff with the Special Olympics if you're the Bruins and you have a kid that was disabled being racially abused and abused in general, bullied by a kid that you just signed to your organization. I just, this is such a dumb mistake for the Bruins. I cannot believe, quite frankly, that they did it. All right, I did want to get to the Celtics quick as well because they win two games over the weekend. So four quick Celtics thoughts. The first one is Tatum has actually taken another leap this year. So he took 20 free throws against the Bulls on Friday night. I know two were technically at the end of the game, but still, he took 20 free throws. He's up to 8.1 a game. That's ninth in the NBA. 6.2 last year, that was 15th. So that's a massive jump to go to 6.2 to 8.1. He's now shooting 79.6% in the restricted area, okay? That's better than Giannis and Zion. Now, obviously, they get there more, but worth telling you how well he's finishing at the rim. Last year, is at 68%. So right now, if you look at the league, with the exception of Giannis, there's not a better two-way player in the league right now. Who's better outside of Giannis in terms of a two-way player, right? Like, obviously, Curry is a better offensive player than is Jason Tatum. Luka is a more complete offensive player than Jason Tatum. But if you're just talking about two-way players, the only guy right now in the league that's better than Tatum, the way that he started the season, is Giannis Antetokounmpo. That's how well he's played. And the biggest thing to me, this was the leap. Overwhelm your opponents with your physicality. Tatum had not done that in his career previous to the season. Right now, he is overwhelming opponents with his physicality by getting downhill, by getting to the rim. And I loved, even though they lost that game to the Cavaliers on Wednesday night, very entertaining game. Like, even though they lost that game, you know what I loved? That at the end of the game, 
Tatum, he has that huge dunk. And then he wants Mitchell on the other side and he blocks him. Like, yeah, you lost the game and all that, but he wanted that matchup at the end of the game, right? He's the best player on the Celtics. I'm getting him. I want him on the switch. Let me take Mitchell. So I love that about Tatum. He's such a great defender and taking this leap. Obviously, like we heard the comments, Chris Mannix had a great article in Sports Illustrated about how pissed off he was, how bad he took that loss. But to see how he's playing this year, it's definitely genuine how he feels about that loss. All right, here's an interesting one. The threes with the Celtics. So they took 51 threes in that game against the Knicks on Saturday night. They broke a record hitting 27, a franchise record. So 52.9%. Hauser hit five, which is nice to see a big Hauser game. Right, there are going to be nights like Cleveland where he was a liability defensively. But there are also going to be nights where he's a weapon and the opponent doesn't have enough offensively to really expose Sam Hauser. So you're going to get these type of nights. So I thought it was nice to see Hauser go off. Tatum at six threes, Jalen hit six. But here's the interesting thing to me. So the Celtics are taking 47.3% of their field goal attempts are threes. That's the most in the league in terms of the percentage. Golden State's second at 45.5. The Celtics are at 47.3. So it's a big gap there. And by the way, they're shooting the three well. 39.3%, that's fifth in the league. And I was looking at like how these guys are shooting and is it sustainable? Obviously, they're not going to stay at that level the entire season. But Al's at 35.3%. That seems like where he's been for the majority of his career. Tatum's at 38.3%. That could even get better. Jalen has not shot the three well, 35.3%. Now, he did last night, of course, against the Knicks. Brogdon's at 379 which he's getting more catch-and-shoot opportunities. That seems real. Grant's at 53.8%. I mean, it's going to come down from 53.8, obviously, but we know he's a great shooter. We've seen it over the past two years. The only one that doesn't really seem sustainable is Derek White's at 41.9%, and he's, we know, has never been a good three-point shooter. In fact, going back to... Last year, when he came over from the Spurs, he shot like 30% in terms of with the Celtics. So that's the only one that you would be concerned about. Corner threes are at 11.4, which is that's the shot that you want in terms of the three. So that's good. So I'm okay with it. Okay. Uh, I'm okay with it right now. I did think in that Cleveland game, they settled a little bit too much. But as long as we see that they're attacking, right? So the Celtics are at 49.6 drives per game. That's the ninth most in the NBA. That's up from 13th last year. So they're actually driving more. So a lot of these threes are of the drive and kick variety. I just hope that what we see is, okay, when they are getting three happy and they're not hitting those shots, that that's when a Jalen or Jason Tatum, you got to get downhill. I know that seems like a massive number. I'm not concerned about it because I feel like most of these threes that they're getting are good threes. They're not forced threes. Obviously, there's some in there, but I don't feel like when I'm watching the Celtics, like, oh, man, they're settling for way too many threes. The only game it really stuck out to me in was, well, I should say two games, I guess a little bit in the first quarter against Chicago or the second quarter against Chicago, the first time they played them, and then against Cleveland the other night. All right, here's another thing Celtics related. Marcus Smart. So I was talking to the boss about this. Does Marcus Smart seem like he may have lost a step? Because if you look at him the other night against the Knicks, they go nine for 14 against him as the primary defender, 64.3%. Small sample size, but 12 isolation possessions defensively this year. Opponents are shooting 44% with a 56% effective field goal percentage. That's horrible, right? Last year, 41 ISO possessions, 26.5%, 27.9% in terms of the effective field goal percentage. So he was elite last year. He hasn't been elite. And like I said, it's a small sample size. But if you look at it too, the C's with Smart on the floor this year, a 119 defensive rating. So that would be by far the worst in the NBA with a MOF 106.79. Now look, some of these on-off numbers early on in the season, 
can be a little bit noisy, right? Because we're still relatively early on in the air. And some of the other guys that are in the starting lineup have bad on-off numbers as well. But we've seen Smart make a couple of those Marcus Smart plays, right? Like the one that comes to mind Wednesday night against Cleveland, where he gets the charge on Garland 35 feet away from where the ball was. I mean, that was a tremendous play. He makes those type of plays. But it does seem like to me he's getting blown by this year, more so than he has in the past. And the numbers would bear that out. I am interested to see him match up against Ja, because obviously we know that Ja, one of the fastest players in the NBA, Smart's going to get that matchup a good amount of time. How does he fare in that matchup? Because it's going to be alarming if Ja's just going right by him. And then you're saying, okay, maybe there is something to this. Maybe Smart is getting a little bit older in terms of what he looks like on the floor. And the other thing I would mention is this. Derek White has been a significantly better defensive player than has Marcus Smart so far this season. I do wonder if ever... When the Celtics get themselves in a game where a guard's going off, if they have White take the matchup, or is it such a thing where Smart is the defensive player of the year, he's labeled as one of the best guard defenders in the league, Derek White's kind of flown under the radar, do they actually let Derek White take the better player? That would be an interesting conversation for Joe Mazzulla and Marcus Smart if that ever happens. So that is something I'm going to be interested in. And one more Celtics-related note, Grant, they're going to regret not getting a deal done with this guy. So... Good thing is, I mean, you can match it as a restricted free agent, but the price is only going to go up. He made a play the other day where he went coast to coast. He had a hesitation. He spun and hit a floater. Grant Williams last year could like barely dribble. And now because of his shooting, he's legitimately good at driving closeouts, right? Like he can get past the defender when they close out. And that's something I didn't even think he had last year in his game. So he's improved that Knicks game. He had a couple of threes. He's now up to 53.8% on the season, as we mentioned earlier. And I just feel like Grant is the type of guy you need on a championship level team, right? For a couple of reasons. Obviously, the shooting, his game speaks for itself. But you want that sort of irritant, right? I mean, think about some recent champs. Like, I'm not comparing the players, just sort of how they act. Draymond Green pisses off teams, right? He pisses off everybody. Even going back to like the Raptors in 19. Now, he did it in a different way. But Kyle Lowry kind of pisses you off, right? Like, he's all over the place. He's flopping all over the place. He's doing things. He's taking all these charges. He kind of pisses you off. And if you watch Grant play, he really does irritate people like he irritates his own team and he irritates the other team. He irritates the officials. So this is the type of guy that every contending level team is going to want. Like in the offseason, Grant Williams is going to have a huge market. And unfortunately, the Celtics did not get a deal done with him this offseason. All right, if you want to get a voicemail in, 617-396-7172, the number, 617-396-7172. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Cerruti for producing this podcast, and we'll chat in a couple of days. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.